Are you wanting to create a highly prosperous photography business doing what you love? Or maybe you have a great business already and want to up your game? Then you're in the right place. Master craftsman photographer Lucy Dumas and her guests are here to support you on your journey. Now here's your hostess and tour guide, Lucy. When I have a terrible need of, shall I say the word, religion, then I go out and paint the stars. And that is a quote from Vincent Van Gogh. And you're going to find out why I picked that quote for today in just a sec. Before we get started, I do want to invite you to go to lucydumascoaching.com, Lucy with an I, and you'll see what I'm up to with coaching, how I can support you. Feel free to book a 20-minute call if you just want to chat, you have questions, you know, anything. I'm here for you. And so I'm just going to launch right in and introduce my guest, Bob Coates. He's been on the show before, and it is right up there in one of the top 10 downloads. So thank you, Bob, for saying yes to another round of Bob Coates shares his incredibly creative brain. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope there's still enough to go around. Yeah, I'll, I'll siphon some out. I'm not going to pick it, but I'll I'll slurp some little creativities out. Okay, so master craftsman photographer Bob Coates started as a pro 1995, and he's stepped through various genres of photography, starting with commercial, doing weddings, and then deep diving into the creation of photographic art. Along the way, he's shared his knowledge with oodles of presentations and writings in magazines, books, and websites, and he gets to live in the gorgeous Sedona, Arizona with his, I assume, gorgeous wife. <laughs> oh, she's absolutely fabulous. Yes. It makes it possible for me to do everything that I do. That's awesome. He's a, and she's his business partner and best friend, Holly. So welcome to the show again, Bob. Thanks, Lucy. Yeah. So I love to know just a little bit about what got you into photography or something to give people a little... Oh, and you have other things in your name, titles besides master craftsman. So yeah, master artist, craftsman, certified professional photographer, and educational associate with uh, American Society of Photographers. Ah, which is the one that you was like your first like? Oh my gosh, I just achieved this, and I feel so great about it. Uh, the master master photography. Mm -hmm. uh, through PPA, the, the competition set up and it really enables you to grow your vision and makes you think critically about your work a lot. And th actually the whole process of all of these was why I did it. I didn't become a CPP to get uh, a designation or get these letters after my name. I got them to um, kind of in my head prove to myself that I knew what I was doing. Mm -hmm. so it was kind of kind of more of a personal personal challenge into into earning all those degrees. Yeah, we're cut from the same cloth in that. I considered it school. Yes. And yeah, it's great to be able to say master photographer Lucy Dumas for credibility in anything that I do. If I photograph, teaching, coaching, uh, 
it doesn't hurt. It's fun uh, when you achieve uh, something like this, if you're listening to this and you don't know what any of this is about, you get medals to wear around your neck when you go to events that are PPA connected. And one of the things I was surprised about was because I love to support other people is that having my first ribbon, you know, my master gold ribbon, more people ask me questions and um, seem to value what I had to share a little bit more. And so it's a service to wear that ribbon to our community. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. As uh, Ral, uh, former past or past president, Ralph Rombagera says, you know, people say, oh, you're showing off because you're wearing these bling, you know, the bling and you've got all the medals and stuff. And, and I, and he was like, no, what that is, is a permission to ask questions from somebody who shares. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So if, if you're out there listening and you're thinking, why should I do that? I think Bob and I gave you some other reasons besides bragging rights or the thought that maybe a client will spend more money with you <laughs> if you have earned those. So, yeah. Well, that's that's been a help, too. Now, even though I did the CPP for myself, mm-hmm. the Certified Professional Photographer, I did that for my head. It has earned me money over the years where people hired me over other photographers because I promoted the fact that I was a CPP because people would say, oh. well, what what is a CPP? I had the certificate on my wall. I had, you know, I tell people that I'm a certified. Well, what does that mean that you're a certified professional photographer? Well, that means that I've studied, I've passed the test, I've uh, submitted images and been approved, and I submit to continuing education on a regular basis. and that has convinced a number of clients over the years to hire me over the next photographer when our imagery, you know, was similar. Interesting. So it sounds like what you've done that others might not do is you publicize it in a way that then people ask questions. And so then you can share. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, there's, you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, I'm not going to be a CPP because PPA doesn't do blah, blah, blah. It has nothing to do with them. It's you that makes it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it just gives, it's one more tool to have in your box in order to uh, win over clients. Right, right, right. And I think, you know, imposter syndrome runs rampant in our industry. I've got some of that. Yeah. <laughs> Still. And so, being able to be like, oh yeah, I've I'm a CPP. I've done all those things. I've uh, I do know what I'm doing. You know, in moments of doubt, you've got that to lean into. Kind of keep it in your back pocket. Yes. Yes. <laughs> all right. So, um, what can you share about your life that led you to say, hey, I'm going to do photography? Um, in the beginning, I studied art and was, you know, taking art classes in high school, and I could never get what was inside my head onto the piece of paper. And I would, you know, I'd be sitting there, I'd be working on something, and I'd just, I'd tear it up, and the art teacher would come in and say, well, why did you do that? That was looking really cool. I said, it wasn't what was in here. Mm-hmm. And so I sort of put art by the side. 
And then uh, once I picked up a camera, um, I was able to, um, it wasn't exactly what was in my head to begin with, but I saw that, oh, I can manipulate this eventually. And mm. uh, eventually it became um, an art tool. All the art lessons that I had taken before have been everything that you've done as, as a person and as a human being, as you grow, it all combines to be what you are now. And when people look at my artwork that I do with Photoshop, a lot of that came from the fact that I studied art to begin with. And I spend a ton of time in museums, um, you know, and I'm a big fan of the impressionistic type work. Um, so after spending, you know, all that time, uh, I eventually got my photography started, you know, even though it was a business, it started becoming better and better and better as I studied more. Mm. So. You started when it was film, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we had. To, and matter of fact, I was uh, when I was I was living in the Virgin Islands at the time. And we I often worked with um, Fuji Velvia. Mm -hmm. And I was able to make that film dance after a while. Um, I processed it different. I had a process different at the lab. I exposed different for it. I, I made it, you know, because we were in the Caribbean, we had the the azure blue seas with those mm. green tur and the turquoise and the sky. Oh man, it was just a, that was a perfect film for that. But you had to nail your exposure. There was no, if you overexposed or underexposed, you were pretty much that piece of film was nothing. And Velvia was slide film, correct? Uh, slide film. Yeah. 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 That's why you had to be right on. You could have, you have a little more latitude if you were shooting film. Yeah. Um, uh, and over the years, that saved my butt more than once when I was shooting film. I actually re I set my camera wrong and got back. I was like, oh, no, that was 400 speed film. And I exposed it at 100 speed. Oh, no. But it was able to be rescued because we do have that latitude. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the reasons uh, I went into portraits and weddings is because I could use print film because yeah, uh, the technical and being perfect at exposures and everything was not my forte, and uh, so I think I think that going in the commercial side, which was what you needed to use, was slide film, uh, scared me. And I also was late to the digital game because in the first years. We had to be to to get the quality that I was used to. We had to be really right on, and so I held on to film. You know, they pulled it from my cold, dead hand. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. I was never going to go digital. Yeah, um, that was I was I was a film show. I would never go digital. And then um, I was sent a camera to review for Professional Photographers Magazine. PPA Magazine uh, sent me our. Fuji sent me the uh, Fuji S2 ah, and I was yeah. testing it out and I was using it and I got a call one night and they said, Bob, we need a, we need a shoot done. We need three photographs finished, completed, done, and built into an ad by tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. And, and I was like, oh no, I can't. And I looked at the digital, I said, you know what? I can give it a try. 
And I pulled out the uh, camera and grabbed my wife and put her into the outfit that they had. I did a jewelry shoot and I did uh, another another piece of product, built it into an ad, had it all finished and ready to go by nine o'clock the next morning. And it was like, ooh, I are digital now because there was no way I could have shot that on slide film, driven it to the lab, waited for the processing got it back out mm -hmm. scanned it etc so you know it was like oh yep i'm digital now and yep. <laughs> you know learned how to how to push push the uh process there as well uh-huh yeah mine was um i had a shoot and for some reason i couldn't get my medium format camera to work and i had purchased um i think it was a canon 20 something 20d 20d and i was like okay here we go <laughs> and it worked out and then i still wanted to lag but then the, my lab burrell stopped printing directly from negatives and i thought well if they're gonna scan it i might as well just shoot digital so yep okay let's see we want to get into some of the meat of this conversation as I siphon out some of that stuff in your brain. <laughs> okay, so one of the things that you're passionate about is Photoshop artistry, and also you love to photograph the night sky and the Milky Way. Oh, Lake. God, yes. <laughs> I hear that, <laughs> and I want to get into that, but before I do, um, this show is called The Profitable Photographer. So. Can you share how those activities contribute to your profitability? Well, I'll tell you the um, the Photoshop stuff came when I when I moved from the Virgin Islands to Sedona. I knew that I wouldn't be working really quick, so I kind of like said, "Okay, I'm going to learn Photoshop." So I concentrated really hard on that, and Photoshop has helped me in so many different ways in learning how to produce. Um, better imagery, just if you're doing straight imagery, you know, commercial imagery, you're able to tweak the shadows and highlights and just make it look yummy for the client. Um, and those skills in Photoshop have pushed me over the years. And the way, how do I leverage that into money? Well, what I would do is I would give myself personal assignments. I'd say, okay, um, we're going to create an art piece for this business. This business has no idea that I'm doing that. I photographed their front door or their gates or whatever, and then turned it into an art piece. So the art piece would be adding textures, playing with it, making, making a beauty image for them. Mm -hmm. And then even though they didn't come to me, I would go to them and say, hey, look at this. I just created this. So, and they would go, oh my gosh, that looks great. That would be great as a header for our website. Well, gosh, you know, we can work that out. Mm -hmm. um, and I would constantly do that. So the, the self-assignments were to learn some new technique, whatever it may be. And then you take that self-assignment and then I would leverage that into making some money. Now, whether that particular company was like, yeah, yeah, that's nice, Bob. Have a nice day. Oh, Okay. Um, but I would take that same image and maybe go to another company and say, hey, look at look at the kind of things that I can create for you. So I would build samples for my uh, for my business and for my promotion. Um, again, that that personal 
just, okay, I want to learn how to do X, whatever it may be. I would push and push and learn that and then try and leverage whatever, whatever image I was creating along the way into some money somehow, some way. Mm-hmm. So do you think, so I'm guessing that some of your merits to earn your artist degree and your master degree were of self-assignments. Am I right? Oh, yes, absolutely. So then connecting the dots with doing these self-assignments and then getting, well, there's the growing and the, but then earning that degree, do you think that really went together as a yeah um the the other thing that i would do is any time um that i would earn a merit um or a degree or something that led to uh feeding the uh, press machine um there were people in sedona who thought that i owned the newspaper for a while because mm. <laughs> and they were giving me so much grief there was and i was like okay well i didn't do it so i stopped sending out my press releases for a while and as I was going around town, a few people said, oh, Bob, you're still here in town? I, just, ah. I thought you left. I hadn't seen you <laughs> anymore. <laughs> so, um, and the, the, the process for writing those press releases was not about me, but it was about the image itself or about the client that purchased that image or, you know, it, it, you don't write, oh, yeah, I got this and I got that and patting yourself on the back. You have to write, you know, so let's say it was a, a wedding image uh, that did well in competition. Uh, you get a quote from the family. Um, mm. If you, if you uh, have a business image that does a commercial image that does well. Hey, these four images were there. You send the images in. You send a headshot in. These are all important parts of making a, a press release work because everybody goes, oh, press releases don't work. Um I built my business from the the personal projects, submitting you know submitting to competition, earning awards, earning accolades for that, and then using that and promoting that outside. And of course, my you know if you look behind me here, these trophies and things. Mm-hmm. When your clients come in and you see that type of stuff, they would be like, "Oh man, you must be really good." Ooh. Right. Again, yeah. so it's it's just all the pieces come together if you keep working it. Yes. Um, did you know Jennifer George? Yes, I did. Yes. So she, when she first started, she did personal projects with children of different races and made these beautiful images and won everything in the Western United States, all the awards and things. And I do have an interview of her. I knew she was probably not going to be around too much longer. And I'm like, Jennifer, you've got to get on my show so that people can learn from you forever. Um, And she shared how those personal projects eventually landed her. uh, Major work. Client base that would fly her for a week to Paris that, you know, like major five figure clients and um, her work, professional work wasn't really different than almost anybody doing the same genre, but it attracted 
amazing clients and she leveraged like you. I love hearing that is when, when you achieve something, let the world know and let it know in a way that isn't just um, looking like bragging. So I love that. and, And one of the ways to do that is to get quotes from other people. So in addition to my clients, uh, if, if it was a PPA uh, event and, and I would uh, call the Arizona PPA president and say, hey, can I get a few words about the, um, about the, you know, talk about a couple of my images or what you think of my work, grab those quotes. I would get the PPA president to give me quotes. I would get um, people who were either in the images or as part of it or clients of mine to do the quotes and yeah, Bob did a great job with X or, you know, Bob was, you know, has such an incredibly blah, 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 whatever they would say. And then it was them saying what I was, not me, even though I wrote the press releases. (laughs) You are so smart. You. (laughs) Yeah. It's trying to say that in a funny way. It didn't sound that funny way. You smart. (laughs) No, it's still not funny. Anyway, Brilliant. (laughs) Brilliant. Um, Those are the kinds of things I think of doing and don't always get around to it. So good job. Actually, you have to, you have to make it part of the process as soon as, as soon as the competition, before the competition's even over, once they've, once the images have been judged, if you have, at the time we used to have judges on site and they would be standing right there and I say, Hey, could I have, could I borrow you for a couple of minutes? come on over here. Could you tell me what you think about this and what you think about my body of work? Could you give me, you know, I'm looking for a couple quotes. I would write down what they said. I would send them an email back and say, did this sound like what you said after I Mm. phrased it to be uh, well done for the press release? And then um, they would go, okay. And then I would send it out for, um, for press release. And uh, you make, and again, make sure you put your headshot in there. Make sure it's other people talking about you and then the images themselves that were in there and make sure that you put the captions in as well. You know, what was this image? Oh, it, it earned the first place in commercial category or whatever that happened to be. So the headshot, the caption, the quote, the image. Yeah. If you go, if you go to my uh, successful-photographer.com site, that's successful. Uh, hyphen photographer.com. There is a section there on press releases and I have a whole bunch that I've scanned over the years. And then also there's a listing of good ways to work your press. Um, you know, again, seeing the examples of, of how they actually got printed. Now the, the beauty of a press release, if it gets printed, it's not you saying it, it's not you putting it out, even though you wrote it, if it's being printed, and even if they put in there, as stated in a press release, people don't see that. They just see the fact that it's been published. And it's, you know, even if it's in the local paper or the local entertainment paper um, or local magazine, it, it doesn't matter the more that. And then you take the press release that's been printed and you scan it and you post it into your Facebook stuff and you put it out on social media and going, hey, look at this. There was an article in Sedona Red Rock uh, newspaper, or I, I was featured in a magazine, or I had a magazine cover. Again, that's more, again, it's all a full circle running around in order to get that promo machine working. I just love it. Um, of course, here's so many people saying, 
oh, there's no work. It's a downtime. I just can't, you know, fill in the blank. And I'll ask, what are you doing to market? And then like, oh, I do a little dabble on Facebook. And what I love is you just laid out big picture marketing is get yourself seen. And it starts with doing something creative, uh, submitting it uh, for critique, and then letting the world know about it and that layers and layers of becoming seen and known. And then when someone's ready for a photographer, they they know about you. Yeah. I also brand myself pretty well. Yeah. So even when I'm, it's, it's on my car. Well, it was on my car. I don't do that anymore, but it was on my car. It's on my, where is it? My sweatshirt. <laughs> it's yeah. on my shirt underneath. I know it's in here somewhere. Which way do you turn? There we go. Oh, there it is. So, <laughs> so I, when, because uh, you had asked me a little bit earlier to chat about, um, you know, some of the other marketing. So this is, that was full on marketing, but I was having a problem getting into, um, galleries mm. um, and I would go in and I'd say hey I'd really like to show my work here it's oh well what do you do oh I'm a digital image maker I'm a digital photographer and they would be like oh, oh yeah so yeah. is my 16 year old blah right. blah blah and my friend and my my you know everybody was a digital photographer so I went all in and became a I'm gonna show Tara I know it's here somewhere so there it is uh, for those of you listening. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just going to, I'm going to narrow it. Bob is searching through his clothing <laughs> for my logos and something. stuff. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> no, what, I, so what, what, well, we want to see what's in your clothing. Um, oh, okay. It's here somewhere. There it is. Yeah. So you can okay. reference the video. I designed a logo. It says it's a big capital C for the coats. And yeah. the coats goes across, and then it says lens-based artist. Oh. And what happens is when you go there and you say, and somebody says, well, what do you do? Well, I'm a lens-based artist. What is the next thing that's going to happen? They're going to ask you a question. And when you have a question asked, that puts you in control of the conversation. Uh, and once I had control of the conversation, well, all of my source material comes through a camera lens. After that... All bets are off. And then I add a lot of art speak and color theory and, mm -hmm. you know, dodging and burning and that, it, that I'm building these images. I'm not just pushing the button that says Van Gogh. Right. <laughs> Which I've done that uh, yeah. for fun, for Christmas cards and things. But I'm not, I'm not selling, you know, or showing that as my artistry. Um, so I love that, that uh, one of the things when I'm helping someone, when I'm coaching them to do an elevator speech is to either end with something that, you know, raises people's eyebrows or start with something where then they're going to ask a follow-up question. And I love what you just said that when, you know, instead of saying, oh, I do this, when, when then they're asking a question, putting you in the driver's seat. I really love that. And just for people that might be thinking, well, what's the opposite? It might be, um, I'm a digital photographic artist, but what I really do is use 
lenses and cameras and you know so you you do you started a little bit normal but then in like for me I'm a I photograph children and families that people use as art but what I really do is and then I might say help children know without a doubt every single day of their life how much they're loved how special they are so that gives them more like juiciness more intimate or more intimate feel for what you actually yeah. do but mm -hmm. I love and I love that if you, if you start with I help children feel more loved and valued then people will be like how do you do that well and then you just said it I love it then I'm driving this this uh, rocket. Yeah, it made made a huge difference. And the the matter of fact, the first gallery I went to after that, the Gallery of Modern Masters here in Sedona, uh, picked me up as a as one of their artists, and I'm still there to this day. Oh, so that picked you up as one of their artists. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. That means I'm hanging on their gallery walls. Ah, you so. personally like wearing your blue blue shirt. You're <laughs> hanging. <laughs> No, the uh, I'm sorry. My work is no, hanging on their walls. I'm just joking. I know, but I was uh, just going along with you. Yeah. If you weren't watching the video, you'll see that both Lucy and Bob did the hanging. Anyway, um, I want to talk about the Milky Way and night sky. Oh, that's my, my wife says that I'm obsessed. And you it know what? Like it. And you know what? She's correct. Yes. Um, the um i've been photograph and i didn't realize i'd even been doing it this long but i started looking back because people are asking well how long have you been doing this and it turns out it's something like six years ago i started messing mucking about with it and then um two years three years ago i started getting very serious about it studying it deep um, reading tons of books and going out and practicing and playing and it is just you know that time underneath the stars especially mm -hmm. you know here in sedona we have what they call a portal four which means we can see a lot of stars mm. um it's it's really nice so the portal scale is like from one to nine and if you're portal one there's almost so many stars that you don't see any because ah. it's just a carpet of stars there's mm -hmm. nothing that stands out um, it makes it hard. So you have to do certain processing when you're working in there to actually dampen down some of the stars so that you can see the Milky Way as it's coming through. Here in Sedona, we have, I think, just that perfect combination. We're right in the middle there between not being able to see any stars at all and having just the right amount of Milky Way visible and, star, you know, the major constellations visible. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to, um, like... For us in San Diego, we study the the sky and sunsets and moonrise and all of that, and then get in our car and go drive somewhere high uh, that's away from the city. You know, we have to do that and to get those images. So you can pretty much do it. Uh, Sedona, if people haven't been there, is is it is it kind of a canyon? Mm. Think of the think of the Grand Canyon upside down. Yeah. <laughs> so the red the red rocks issue forth from the earth. So we have uh, lots of different formations. We have Cathedral Rock and Bell Rock and Courthouse Butte yes. and Snoopy. And then a, 
cute little town kind of in the valley of. And we're kind of, and the town is, yes, in between. So uh, five minutes from my house is probably what I call my, my night sky muse. So Ooh. I have Bell Rock and Courthouse Butte, and then I have a lot of different ways to photograph the Milky Way, depending upon what time of year it is, because mm -hmm. it's constantly shifting and going through. I kind of liken uh, photographing the Milky Way to playing a 4D chess game. Ah. Because you have <laughs> so many, uh, number one, the Milky Way is moving. Your foreground is not. So you have to kind of take care of your, 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 mil your foreground as separate from your sky and you have to photograph the sky and you have to do all sorts of things there and then the processing too because when you look at the milky way with your naked eye you only have one aperture in your eye and you can only look see what's coming in there so it's kind of just like a soft cloud that goes across mm -hmm. but with the camera with the wider aperture and a longer exposure it can gather a lot more information, but that information needs to be teased out of those files to make those colorful Milky Way pictures that you see. How do you do that? That's why you come to Sedona to <laughs> join one of my workshops. <laughs> um, how do you do that? It's, yeah, it's Photoshop uh, processing and uh, multiple exposures of the sky. So you may, you may take 20 images of the Milky Way as it's moving. And then you've got software that you can employ that will put all those because the Milky Way is moving the whole time. You, it will put all those together and it will help you decrease your noise. And then you go in and you tease out the smoky and the color and everything. else. Mm -hmm. So is there a perfect setting on the camera for, you know, I'm sure there's some variances depending on, uh, the weather conditions. Why, uh, wide right. aperture. Okay. And then if you go to, there's a, a program called Photo Pills, which actually oh, yeah. helps out things amazingly. It has, it's everything to do with the night sky from, from the moon, the sun, the Milky Way, meteor showers, everything else. Photo Pills will help you with that. And they actually have it built into Photo Pills. You can say, I have this camera. And I'm using this lens and tell me, and I'm shooting at this aperture and it'll say, oh, well, you can leave that lens open for X period of time before you start to see star trails. Mm. And then you can, you know, find your neighborhood there. Sometimes, you, you know, you can go a little bit longer than it says. Sometimes you need to be a little bit shorter. Depends on what direction you're facing because the stars move in. If you're facing north, they don't move quite as much. If you're facing to the east or west, they're moving faster. Than, oh, you know, so there's all those things that you kind of, again, that 4D chess game. Is right. the moon up there? Is there too much light from the moon? Is what time is sunset? What time? Oh, yeah, the moon's coming up in the middle of, oh, is it behind the Milky Way? Is, you know, so mm -hmm. you have all these all these pieces to put together and you see why I get so excited about it. Yes. Yeah. One of the most delightful evenings I've ever spent, I was on the big Island of Hawaii. And as I was coming out of the ocean, you know, of course I chat with everybody that's around me. I can't help it. And there's a woman anyway, somehow she was in the know and she said, if you're going up to uh, the volcano Tonight's the perfect night. The weather's right. The moon is setting at nine. Um, 
And I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And and it was early enough that it wasn't like 2 a.m. And um, it, as expected, it was fairly warm, but not hot. And just hanging out there. And I was at the where there's a crater that is active. So I was able to get volcano in the foreground, <laughs> which was Sweet. a little tricky exposure wise. But um yeah, it was just so lovely and other people there. And I couldn't remember how to do the self-timer. And there was someone with the same camera as me that was like, yeah, do this. And he needed a tripod. And I had said, here, you can borrow mine for a while. And uh, this family came up from San Francisco that had never, ever seen the night sky, had never seen the Milky Way. And kids are teenagers. And so, yeah, there's something so magical. And when we're photographing it, we're not just driving up going, oh, pretty. And then leaving, we get to really drink it in, right? Yeah, probably my biggest drink was the other night at the uh, Geminids meteor shower. <gasps> and I yeah. started at 8, 8 p.m. and had one camera running the entire time until 5 a.m. Oh, wow. And then I had another camera working different angles and places because the meteor shower, even though it's, you know, it comes from a radiant point, the meteors are all over the place. Right. So, um, and then again, there's a whole different processing, you know, setup that goes to there. There's also, a, you know, star trails is a fun thing to do and spend some, you know, again, night sky is just absolutely spectacular. Yes. And the it, listening to the coyotes in the distance and the, Havelina coming by going. <laughs> <you know. laughs> I was in Hawaii uh, and Maui during the, um, what's the August 11th meteor shower? Uh, the proceeds. Yeah. I knew it started with a P and happened. It started with some drunk had driven his car over the ice plant onto the beach. So my niece and I, she was, 12 at the time, wandered down, and then we just were sitting in the sand, and it was pretty dark, and then all of a sudden, the meteor showers started, and I was like, oh, that's right, August 11th, and it was one of those times when the tide left a lot of shiny water, oh, so sweet. we got to, the Milky Way was in full view, and those meteor showers were, and the stars were reflected in the sand, in the wet sand. And yeah, there is something, I don't know what it is about us as humans, but, but uh, we love that. Stuff. Reminds, reminds me of my insignificance in the world. Yeah. When I was a kid, I loved to lay out in the backyard uh, in central California before smog and before the, all the light density in the San Joaquin Valley. And just, I do think it expanded my awareness of what you just said, insignificance and beauty and something indescribable. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Well, anything else on this topic or photographic artistry? Uh, well, on the on the Milky Way thing, anybody who's listening to this uh, podcast uh, can come at a discount. I will you up with a $200 discount for the if you want to attend the workshop right 
Um, basically, what I do is I, I feel that anybody who knows a little bit more about me and wants to attend and they've spent time either in a class of mine or listen, you know, spent time listening to a podcast like this. I'm going to have less of a problem with them than if somebody <laughs> doesn't know me at all. Right. So they have to they pay the PIA the fee. The <laughs> like and if you don't know what that is, you can send him a note and says, what what is PIA? There you go. No, I just I just look at I look at people that that who do know of me and know what I you know what I'm like and how I how I teach. Uh -huh. um, they have a they have a good feel for what's already happening. So I'm I'm feeling like there's going to be a better mesh right. when it comes time for the class. And they're all they're small classes. We only have um, I've limited it to four for this type of a thing. Uh -huh. um, other than you know, if I travel to go to a state or something, um, mm -hmm. I just did one up in Michigan. Um, where we had 50 people in the class. Ah. How many do you do locally a year? Um, if you, again, successful-photographer.com is the whole schedule there. It's from May through the end of October. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's there's dates wiggled all the way across there. At the moment, those are all open. Um, but as they as I get the, you know, the class is full or... If I schedule something else, I may pull a, a date down from there if nobody's already signed up. So if you want to sign up for next year and you say, oh, I'm going to be there in July or August or whatever time it is, go ahead and book it now. Got it. Um, do you have, because this show is listened to so far in 97 countries. So someone from Russia may not uh, be able to make it to mm -hmm. one of your events. Do you have some online Sure, I can do some uh, mentoring one-on-one, -on -one, and we can do that via Zoom, and we can, you know, go through the class, or we, or if we, you know, if you put together a small group of your own, again, we can do it via Zoom, and then that can also be recorded so that you have um, the ability to review it and go right. back over it. So you don't have anything already, like, here I am, there's the stars, here's how you do this. Um, there's, I have, I have articles on photofocus.com. I have, um, articles in, uh, ASP magazine. Uh, you know, I have, I have articles out there, but I, I don't have anything specific because, uh, many times, especially when we're talking about Milky Way, it's specific to your camera, right? Which is, you know, you know how your camera, the lens that you have, what you're able to accomplish with that type of lens or, you know, so there's there's so many different variables that I haven't really put together anything like that. If someone were so, thank you for all that info because it is so fun and, um, yeah. Uh, if someone were like, okay, I want to have the right, like I I only have kind of entry level into this, mm -hmm. willing to put together camera and lens or lenses that would be a really good choice to start with. Do you have a suggestion? Um, interchangeable lens cameras. You want to have if the, the fastest glass you can afford and relatively so what is fast glass and fast glass means F um, two eight or lower. Okay. And that would be F, you know, F one point lenses that are F one point four 1.8, 2.8, those are, you know, F2, those are fine. Wider angle lenses make it much easier. 
because if you have a longer lens and you focus it on the stars, if you think about it, the lens is open for a certain period of time and you would have much less time before the stars started to trail if you have a longer lens. Mm. So those are good for star trails. But if you're trying to do the Milky Way and you're trying to do multiple exposures, wide angle lens. So on a full frame camera, you're looking at maybe 14 to 24, somewhere okay. in that neighborhood. Um, on, I use micro four thirds. I'm a big fan of Olympus um, because Olympus has put in a thing called starry autofocus. <laughs> and one of the major problems that most people have when they're doing um stars you know starscapes and trying to get them nailed is nailing that focus because you're in the dark and they're really small and there's a lot of different techniques we can use but with olympus i point it and go sorry autofocus and uh, waits just a little bit a moment it looks at it and says okay yeah you're good and then that will be in focus for the rest of the night oh so unless i bump the you know the lens so focus you don't just go to infinity and no infin infinity is actually a misnomer um, because infinity is different on many cameras. It's even different on your camera, depending upon the temperature of the, that you're working in, because oh. the glass expands and changes. Mm -hmm. And if you set it just to the infinity mark, it may not be perfect for that particular lens. The mark may be there, but it's not necessarily for your lens. So you want to test that out. Ah. Um, the other thing that you need is, you know, a you know, is a, a decent camera that, that is able to do longer exposures and a good tripod. A good um, tripod is huge because you want to have it nice and steady. Um, and then just as a little tip, what I do is I take a glow-in-the-dark tape and I put oh. it around the bottom of the legs of my uh, tripod. And that enables you to see that you're, you know, because you got your black legs sitting and it's dark out and you kick your <laughs> tripod in the middle of a long exposure and you're like, oh, no. As you pick yourself up the, off the ground and the camera and wipe the tears. Away. Yeah. Yeah. So a little, little reflective, a little, re, uh, you know, glow in the dark tape. Love it. Uh, works really well. Love it. Uh, I had one other question. Um, do you, is it, Better preferred to have a camera that can have less grain, you know, higher ISOs, or does it matter? Um, yeah, the you know the the better the quality of the camera, the better your images are going to be. But there are techniques in order to make the uh, noise go away um, as you're working with your with your camera. You take multiple exposures, you blend them together, and then your camera goes or your uh, your process when you use the proper things like there's uh, for Max, it's a starry landscape stacker. Um, and it will, you maybe take between 10 and 20 images of the Milky Way moving across the sky. So as it's moving oh. across the sky, then you take those 20 images. And you, when you finish that se sequence of 10 or 20 or whatever it is you're going to do, you also take a set of dark frames. So put the lens cap on or put a hat over the lens and fire the camera again, maybe two or three times, four times. So you have four black images. And what that is, is a picture of the noise that's in your camera at that temperature, at that time of exposure. So you're going to make those exact. So if you were doing 20 second exposures and you're doing 20 of the Milky Way as it goes across, then you're going to put the lens cap on and continue to take 20 second exposures at those exact same settings 
maybe four of them, and then you put all of those images into something like Starry Landscape Stacker um, for Mac, and it will line up the stars, and it goes, huh, if it's not a star, it's noise. And the dark frames also inform the software as well. Oh, these are all pictures of noise, because it says, oh, those are dark frames. I know what that is. Mm-hmm. That's not stuff we want to see. Um, and then there for PCs, there's a, a program, a free program called uh, Sequator or Sequator, 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 Sequator. something like that, Sequator. Mm-hmm. Um, but that does the exact the same thing, but it's a free program. The uh, Mac program costs maybe about 40 bucks. Mm. Um, if you had some money to spend, would I mean, if you had a certain amount, would you prefer a better camera or a higher quality lens? Lens, always. The gla- glass is is primo. Um, and the other thing is, especially if you're starting out and you're going to think, go to the used market. There are a lot of great used cameras on there. Do a little research. Um, and I use, I work with uh, MPB.com. Mm-hmm. Um, they have been very good. I use that to sell my uh, equipment that I'm not using anymore. And then I use them for if I want to buy a used uh, piece of equipment. Um, I've found them to be very fair and and pretty straight up with what they do. Mm-hmm. And so you can get a lot more bang for your buck on the used market. Um, and they, you know, they're, uh, I think they're warranted for 90 days or six yeah. months, one of the two, I forget which. Yeah, I just um, sold some things and then bought some things at KEH because Mm-hmm. I realized that uh, the Canon mirrorless camera is not the right one for me. There's too many, too, it's too menu driven. I need a dial that I can look at and say, there's my ISO or there's something. So I, I went to Sony and I was like, oh, good lenses here at Sony for 30% or so. So now why is, what would be the difference between, let's say, the lens, a kit lens that might come with an entry level and some good glass? Your kit, kit lens is not going to be quite as fast. Although, you know, if a kit lens is what you have, that's what you can work with. You just want to open that aperture up as far as you can get all the way down to that, open up to the three F3.5 Usually the, the those kit lenses are like three five to five six or four to six somewhere in there. Um, you want to just you know as wide open as you can get, and you work with it from there. Maybe you'll take more images in order to uh, fight the noise. Mm. Again, you're you're not going to have as much. You're not going to be gathering as much light. The whole idea is it's dark. And we want to suck up as much light as we can. And you can't, you know, you can't do that if your lens is closed down. Right. And oh, yeah. if, if you think of those numbers, every one of those is twice as much light as the one before. Right. So if you have a, an F3.5 lens and you go down to, or say an F4 lens and you go down to 2.8, that's twice as much light gathering ability. And if you get down to F1.2, that's, Twice as much as that. Yeah. Or actually, it's even more. But anyway, it's a bunch, and it makes it makes a huge difference. So the faster glass, the you know, is going to be better. Now there's uh, there's also some manual focus lenses out there that are pretty cheap, like from Rokinen. Rokinen. Um, there's a, you know a couple look look for those. A, a, a 
a manual focus lens is going to cost you less. Um, and they're from off manufacturers, but there's some pretty good glass out there. Yeah. And you, and if you, you know, if you're just experimenting and you're just getting started and you can afford two or $300 to try out a lens, that would be a way to go as well. If you didn't want to go full on into the, you know, the best glass that's out yeah. there. Thank you, Bob. I, I knew you'd know that stuff and uh, be able to communicate it in a way that makes sense to people. So, um, well, so we're just about out of time. Um, I'd love to give you an opportunity to have either share just a little something that you might be thinking, oh, I wish I had talked about this a little or just a parting thought. So what do you got for us? Um, my parting thought, that would be probably a quote that's done by almost most of the artists and Chuck Close probably said it the best, or maybe Picasso said it uh, really well. Um, it, or I'm not sure if I'm quoting them exactly, but basically, you know, what do you do for inspiration? Well, you know what? Inspiration comes when you do the work. Mm. Get in there and and get to work and do your stuff. And then, you know, it's like, well, where do you get your inspiration from? I work. You don't You don't wait for inspiration to strike. You get in there and you start doing whatever project it is that you want to do. And then you're, the things start to open up. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I. Um, it seems like several of my interviews recently uh, have been with people who do self-projects like you to get that inspiration to grow. And so it seems to be the theme for 2024 is get out there and do something. Don't just sit there, <laughs> go play, go create, you know, all of the above. So I'd love that, Bob. Yeah. There's, there's a tendency to think that the, you know, the, uh, that the art, you know, the idea comes and then you do the work. It's you do the work then the ideas start to flow and right. something grows out of this when you add this to that and you put this texture, you know, in my Photoshop, if I put this texture in and, oh, wait a minute, what if I added a lookup table? Oh, what's a lookup table? Ah, that's a whole nother show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, doing different ways of processing your images, changing the blend uh -huh. modes, you know, just messing about and then, say, and then you go, oh, well, that worked there. And then I remember I did this over here. What if I mix this in here? One of the things that, you know, when you, you know, we talk about Photoshop, Photoshop people, the people who design it have no idea what it's capable of. <laughs> and the reason is, is because all of the, the um, modules are done by separate engineering teams. So you Ooh. have somebody that was, you know, deigned to do, you know, mix this with that, if this was that on a layer, and this is what the blend mode is. Mm -hmm. Well, they know what they're little pocket does and the guy over here doing this portion of it does and then a photographer takes this pocket and that pocket and puts them together and blends them and then another photographer sees that and says oh i didn't know you could do that and then you do that and then you add this and it's it's exponentially um creative to go play in photoshop and that's why it's artistry sort of like <laughs> the people that make paint you know acrylic paint for painters, they don't know what can be done with mixing and blending and Correct. all of the above. We're the we're the artists that take our tools and do 
all kinds of things. Even I was addicted to that SX-70 film until mm -hmm. it was discontinued. Do the moshing. And when it was first invented, the, the, the kind that shoot out, if people don't know what it is, uh, rather than having to pull something off, it would shoot out of the camera. And the emulsion stayed mm. wet for... And you'd five. mush it up. Yeah. So people started getting uh, like stylists and, and golf tees and things and moving that around to turn things into something else. So, yeah, that's why we're artists. We take some tools and we play. Well, Bob, thank you for saying yes to being on the show again. And I love... Um, Gosh, everything you shared. I love how your technical and your creative side are married together because you're incredibly creative, but you also know all the all the details, all the what is it? Left brain stuff, not everything ever known to man, but you're pretty good. I, at am, I am very fortunate. I was given a really good work ethic by my dad, and most of it comes from hmm, I want to learn how to do this. I want to make this happen and just keep pushing. I love it. All right. Well, that's it. And thank you so much, Bob. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. So I let him wander off and have his day. And it's just you and me now. Uh, that was such a great conversation. And my summary, I guess, number one is get out there and do creative things and then enter in competitions and set goals to achieve recognition and then publicize it. Let the world know about it. Um, our creative projects are things that we do uh, to grow and learn or just technically sort of for fun can then lead to many things that increase our profitability because that's what we love on this show is profitability. And we talked about that night sky and some of the ways, some of the technical things like cameras and lenses and um, yeah, lots of good things. And um Remember that I love to connect. I love feedback. Or if you want, for example, if you'd like a conversation about your pricing or about your website and, you know, the, the good, bad, and the not so pretty, <laughs> if you, not your pictures, but, you know, the functionality and how your website can contribute to your brand and to people hiring you, um, feel free to book a call and no pressure. Just love to connect. And that's it for now. Bye. You have been listening to the Highly Profitable Photographer with Lucy Dumas. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share. To connect one-on-one -on -one and learn more about our coaching programs, just go to lucydumascoaching.com. Until next time, go have fun photographing and selling your work.